Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. It is easy to turn a blind eye when it does not directly affect you. For years, people have been going missing in patterns of three in the nation of Palinel. They are never found, never sighted, never talked about again. In a world built upon tenuous peace, you learn to keep your head down lest you become the reason for disruption. Finally, a prominent Duke's daughter goes missing. A beautiful young elven woman, full of promise, set to take over her father's estate once he retires. This is where the story begins. Follow our heroes go, Belrash and Annalise, as they set out to uncover the secrets of Palinel, the Feywild, and maybe even discover what happened to the before city, the ruins of which the capital city of Amorsha is built upon. A thrilling tale of mystery and magic. Join us every other Friday for a tale of feats and fates. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So we are, at least I am really excited about today's episode because we are going to be tackling Eberron Rising from the Last War with a very special a Tabletop Journeys treatment. Now the book came out five or six years ago, so we're not going to do like a page by page, chapter by chapter, deep dive like we have on some of our other gaming books. But instead tonight, we are going to go ahead and put our unique spin on this book. We're going to be looking through Eberron Rising from the Last War and picking out bits that we think you can bring to your non-Eberron game. What bits from the book homebrew the best? But before we get into all of that, Mr. Miller, Mr. Myers, welcome. Good evening. How are you doing this fine afternoon, evening, etc.? Greetings and salutations, gentlemen. Now, I'm doing really well. I'm pretty excited as Fans of the show and loyal listeners can obviously tell you I've played uh, Warforged for a long time. Mm. So mm-hmm. while I have never played in an Eberron campaign, 
I have mad love for Eberron and a wee bit of history with it that I actually share with Josh. I don't know if he'll even remember, but I'll bring that up as we get into it a little yeah. bit later. Because we're definitely going to be talking about the Warforged. I will tell you that much for sure. That's absolutely on my list of things to go ahead and talk about. How about you, Mr. Myers? How are you this evening? For me, I'm doing great. I'm excited to uh, be here to talk about Eberron tonight. I'm going to be honest. I did not know a huge amount of, about Eberron prior to reading to prepare for this beyond mm-hmm. The Warforged that I've experienced with Lee Winnicka playing HK and Streams of Spiro and the Artificer when I dove into it to create that character for our for Patreon yeah. actual play for Sprocket. But after our interview last week, uh, that really <laughs> revved me up for Eberron because his passion for the world and how well yeah. he honestly described some of the concepts that as I'm reading them, I might have been like, meh. But like the way he yeah. verbally described the power play between the Dragonmark houses was Mm-hmm. I loved it, and it really helped me get into the book. Yeah, yeah, I'm jazzed. Let's do it. Yep. James Ducasso is so knowledgeable and funny mm. and smart. Uh, you know, Great guy uh, all around. Yeah, fantastic. and well and well rounded. He really knows his stuff. Yeah, and did a great job of kind of filling in the missing pieces of history with everything. Yeah. Uh, yep. Reminded oh. me of a few things as well. And if you don't know who he is, he's done heavy work on eberron and worked on yeah. eberron rising from the last war yeah and, and many uh, and about a dozen other books exactly for for, from, for watsy yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and dmd yeah. ever yeah Curl- he's, he's currently and, part of the team at mcdm yeah uh, MCDM, working, well, i got that backwards uh with uh with arcadia and the brand new uh, kickstarter that matt fully Colville. funded in yep. like i don't know seconds or something seconds uh yeah. by matt coville flea mortals um a night you get the three of us you lucky ducks out there and we're going to be diving into again like i said eberron rising from the last war because this book is amazing first of all if you have not read eberron rising from the last war strongly recommend going out getting it read it Love it. But if you are not running an Eberron campaign, because Eberron campaigns definitely have a certain aesthetic about them. They certainly have a certain ethos that Eberron games live within. And if you aren't looking to run a campaign in that particular ethos, the episode tonight is going to be all about what can you take from this awesome, amazing book and bring it into your more standard Forgotten Realms campaign or your more standard D&D game in your own homebrew world. So that's the way we're going to be going tonight here. Let's see. Uh, gentlemen, grab your D20s and roll them. Let's see who gets the initiative to go ahead and start tonight. This is a fabulous roll idea by Mr. Initiative. Myers, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Let's see here. I have an 11. Ooh, five. 12. 12. Mr. Miller, oh. the initiative is yours, sir. Indeed. All right. So, I'm going last. Going right into my hot notes here. One of the things I really like about Eberron is it's bestiary. Their friends and foes section is pretty well done. There's some really nice monsters that I think really add some good flavor. If you've got a homebrew world and you're looking to have a style for a particular area or you want to create an army, look no further than the Eberron book because there's a lot of good things. Their friends and foes section includes a Warforged soldier, which is a great place to start. It also includes the uh, Warforged Titan and the Warforged Colossus. Mm -hmm. Now, these aren't things that you necessarily have to homebrew or do anything with, but bringing these into your game as an enemy force or an enemy group, you can leave them as people as Eberron does, at least as far as the Warforged soldiers are concerned. People, consciousnesses, they're just people. Player characters can be these things. 
or if you want to just use this as the mechanics for a robotic group of enemies, such as the Terminators. If you want to do a fantasy style uh, Terminator style game, you've got it. And they've got three different kinds to choose from with the new Spelljammer coming out there's also autonomes that you could add into the mix so you could have different type things to go along with it but not it doesn't just end at those three i mentioned obviously the colossus is pretty big it's huge size you have the titan which is gargantuan size you have say, is the colossus only huge because the colossus were like so the colossi were so big that they're like maps like you can explore the rotted out husks of colossus like soldiers. Colossus is gargantuan. Yeah. And the Titan is huge. I had those reversed. You had them yeah. backwards. I had those backwards. My bad. Yeah. Easy uh, to do. Yeah. So again, you've got these two different size creatures, which make for great, great stories. Your party at tier one can face off against a, a Warforge or a group of Warforge. And then when that's getting to the point where uh, they're beating him pretty easy, drop in your drop in your Titan. When that gets a little uh, too easy, bring in your Colossus. And better yet, they still have a tier four for you, and it's called the Lord of Blades. And that's a massive CR-18 enemy. You literally could build a campaign around this marauding army of Terminator-style robots. And you could even do the Terminator where you can have a player who wants to play a Warforge be the one that turned to good or was turned to good by some fashion and is now working on the sides of the of the mortals or what have you. So there's yeah. a lot of great story uh, play you can do with that. I just wanted to throw in there on that, Lee. I think that's an amazing idea. And as you were talking, it like exploded in my brain a little bit. Once you hit the Terminator army and then the army of mechanical constructs, right? It doesn't have to stop at Warforged. We're talking about lifting for home brewery and it doesn't have to stop at the concepts that are there. You can take those three versions and design some of your own. You could make some that are specialized for melee. You could make some that are specialized for ranged. You could make some that are similar to the pendulum soldiers from uh, the Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, or bring in the Auto Gnome, as you pointed out. And yeah. I, it brought me to like this. You could create an entire campaign around a giant, a sentient, powerful construct from Mechanus who was like invading another plane with his army of robotic invaders. Yeah. That's really cool. Yep. Sorry, Did I just you... had to geek out with you for a minute. No, 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 I'm I'm fully going there. Like where I want to take a party on a spell jamming ship will include that kind of concept. Like yeah. Mechanus invading a place. Could you imagine a Warforged Colossus that is geared to be a spell jamming ship that is captained by a like clockwork sorcerer who has gone mad and with the like the turrets that are built into the Colossi and everything like that? Oh my goodness. That is that could be pretty awesome. That'd be amazing. That, that could be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so, Whether so, you're on that ship or against yeah. that ship, either one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I want to be against that ship. That could be because we were talking about about Lord of Blades. Like as a named hero, as a CR eighteen, your average Colossus is a CR twenty five. So that is a campaign ender. That, uh, but also yeah. the, the only advantage of it there is that at least in Eberron lore, all the Colossi are dead. There is a handful of them that are still around, but they are all a severe weakened in some fashion or another like they're like the colossi in le at least in the world of eberron are not an active threat but you know that's not saying that you can't throw one that's just again we're talking about taking it out of eberron so that's where you're going 
Yeah, there was one last thing because I was thinking all mechanics for this out of that beast here, and that is the Iron Defender. There's which is basically a big metal dog. <laughs> and Ooh, I, yeah. and that's a nice addition. Um, and I thought that was really cool. And I even know what I want to do. I want to for HK. I'm considering going paladin with the character for my next few levels and i would when i have the ability to find steed i was uh thinking of asking my storyteller if instead of finding steed i can find me an iron defender and Mm. uh, because it's significantly different than a steed i would even be satisfied to have it just be exactly what it is in the book so if it dies it dies but it's pretty hot and i think that would be cool yeah all right, so I'm going to dive in here next, having rolled an 11 on my on my initiative here. I'm also going to to go into one of the races that's listed in the book here, and another one that I, I really enjoyed are the Kalashtar. And the Kalashtar are a race that I have used periodically in in campaigns way back when we did the Drinking and Dragons uh, game not that long ago. the uh, One of the dirty secrets in, in the Mystery of the Minds of Karagshah was that the mysterious uh, mystic from the mountains was, was actually a Kalashtar, and the kind of the special sauce behind the Kalashtar is that they are beings of two different worlds, right? They are they ha- they inhabit the physical plane, but they also they have this quarry spirit that inhabits them, and they can't necessarily communicate with it with their quarry spirit at all. But that kind of gives them it. That's where they get mystical or supernatural powers from is their connection to the spirit world. What I love most about the Kalashtar is how they are described as it or it can be interpreted as elf they're very elven in their appearance they are very elven in the way that they are somewhat mystical and everything like that but they are not elves they're, i guess they're, but they're not really elves at the end of the day and i always thought that you could go ahead and play that duality very well where it's like you've got this creature that looks like an elf and acts like an elf and talks like an elf and walks like an elf but isn't an elf and doesn't really have any elvy things that go along with it like you've got you've got elves that that they're used to 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 the dreaming and everything when they take their rests and everything they enter that meditative state that same thing happens to the Kalashtar. They also do the same thing, except every time that they go into the dreaming, they are plagued with nightmares. And so they have this tragic sort of connection underpinning everything. And I absolutely love them. I thought the Kalashtar were one of my favorite things in there because of the way that you can play it off of so many things that we see in your common D&D game. See, I think they're super cool too. I damn near chose them as one of the things that I wanted to go into. Mm. What they really make me think of is like the Trill Dax symbiote yes, relationship. Absolutely. And that really just kind of made them sing for me. But what you were talking about there is a trait of I'm seeing as a pattern in Eberron. It's an elf that's not really an elf because the Kalashtar spirit bond took over the normal elven traits. But the same thing happens with all of the dragon mark. Yep. Effectively racial subsets too you could be another race member with a dragon mark but you don't get the benefits of your normal race you just get the ones that come from the dragon mark which is neat because it's saying that the mark of your destiny kind of over overrode but yeah mr myers the initiative is yours that's so scary so as i was digging through the book i really enjoyed before i get to the first thing that i would lift i really enjoyed the way that the world fits together and some of the questions that they asked themselves as they created the world of Eberron. Because again, I'm the Eberron newbie. I never really learned that much about the world until I started going through this book. And the way that they looked at how could technology advance magically as opposed to scientifically? Super cool. 
I love it from everything from, and I know these will come up later. So actually, I'm not going to talk about the technological advancements really fast because I bet you at least one of them I know somebody else is talking about <laughs> later. So we'll skip that and then, and instead say that with that, it also came about the concept, and I'll use this for my first thing that I would lift, of the mage rites. People who are magic but not full-on wizards. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of part of their profession. So you could be, and I love this, I would definitely lift this into another world, whether I change the name or something else. The concept of being a locksmith or a mage right locksmith who's had the education and the mystical training because magic is a science that anyone can learn, just most people aren't that proficient. You can become a locksmith who can cast knock. That's your only spell or knock an arcane lock. And those are your only spells. But that makes you a much better professional, particularly in a world where magic is used as like the common problem solving solution, as opposed to going for the manual means, they go for the magical means. And that's a really cool concept, too. Um, or like one of the other examples they gave in the book for a major healer is somebody who doesn't just know their med kit and their herbalisms, but they've also learned enough to be able to cast cure light wounds or maybe lesser rest- restoration. That's all they got. They don't have any other cleric abilities. They don't have turn undead or any of the other stuff. And you know where that took me? And this is why it became the absolute most fun for me. <laughs> Everywhere we're talking about mage colleges. Now we've got a junior college. Now we've got a two-year university. Now we've got a trade school <laughs> where we can yep. still work in some of those same things. And I, I really had fun with that, trying to come, trying to create a secondary education system in my head for how these people would get their training. Would it all be apprenticeship and you only learned to be a mage right plumber from a mage right plumber to learn the proper plumbing mm-hmm. spells? Or is there a trade school out there where everybody goes and... They attend, they may do their regular apprenticeship on the side with the the people they're apprenticing with, but to learn the principles of magic finitely enough to be able to master these spells, they're attending part-time magic classes at night or something. I kind of love it. So so you've got Strixhaven, that's like your magic university where you spend four years in deep study and you eventually wind up coming out like a fifth level wizard on the other side. And you've got your magic community college where like you can go like nights and weekends and pick up an associate's degree. Or a certificate program. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In in, in magical plumbing. I love it. At night while you're working your normal apprenticeship during the day doing plumbing. Exactly right. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I think that's fantastic. And that was the first thing that like, I'm like, oh my God, I could have so much fun building that into my world and coming up with little pieces for it that I think could be a good time. But yeah, that's pretty amazing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What are you? I'm the Sharn uh, heating and uh, air conditioning specialist. (laughs) Sharn air conditioning specialist. (laughs) It's really really warm in there. (laughs) Cold. There's not enough power. Or Lightning yeah. but with that concept, one of the most common things that they put in there for magic being commonplace, and I really love that, is one of the most common things that people can do is some form of prestidigitation, and that's what everybody uses for everything, from heating their pot for dinner to, and that's just cool. Yeah, it's, that's kind of no, like, that's that's kinda like Clark Kent, like using his heat vision to make toast. Because who's got time for a toaster right. if you're <laughs> Superman and you're and you just want a, some toast and coffee? Every town crier can elevate their voice prestidigitation style and things like that being part of the society i thought was a wicked cool detail and then the mage right piece just boop, took it over the top yep i love Sorry. it that's fabulous i, I no, launched into it again that's, that's, that's fantastic <laughs> all right that's the end of our round all right do it up 
Dun, 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 dun. 15. 18. Five. <laughs> I had a five last time. I feel your pain. I'm so sorry for you. All right, Mr. Glenn. And I get to go All second right. again. I do. I get to go twice I'm, in a row. It's kind of like, like playing uh, Iron Dragon, building your track where it goes player, and then the last one gets to go twice so he doesn't get screwed and get blocked out of stuff. <laughs> All right. All right. Bouncing back. All right, so my next thing that I'm going to talk about that I really think was cool is the patrons and patron organizations that are listed yes. in the book. Now, mind you, we did already get the concept of patrons and Tasha's for regular for uh, the mainstream 5e introduction, but this is where it started, right? Yes. Yep. Yes. And um, patrons they- started here in Eberron, and it was so popular that they made, they brought it over with Tasha's. Which is hot. And even if you don't play in Eberron, each of the patrons that they list to give you an examples are already pre-made fantastic little organizations that you can pick up and drop into any world campaign city just with a little bit of tweaking already ready to go. Whether you're using them as a patron or you're going to use them to base an opposing patron or a adversarial force for your party. And I thought that we love patrons from the first time we reviewed them on the show in Tasha's mm-hmm. right now we're talking about them from their source and they're still fantastic. Yeah. They, they do not disappoint in any way. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I think, and I think that the, what the patrons in this book, cause I had them flagged too, Glenn. It's a fantastic suggestion because I thought of it also. I think I prefer the patron system that's in Tasha's. Cause I think it's a little bit cleaner. It's a little bit lighter and it's a little bit more agile. The patron system that's here in Eberron has a lot of heavy lifting, but what is fantastic about the patron system here in Eberron, if you want to introduce patrons to your game, you can take the narrative sauce that is in these patrons and run them very cleanly into the Tasha's patron system to go ahead and introduce them to your game. The concepts, like Mm -hmm. if you want to run patrons, even if you're not running with the Eberron rules for patrons, you should know and love this section of the book because that's what's going to get you knowing real intimately, like the level of intrigue and the level of interplay between different patrons and how if you align with patron X, you might anger patron Y and that sort of interplay between them all. And a lot of that has to do with Eberron in general anyway. Like that whole concept of intrigue and everything like that is very, it's baked into the Eberron cake, right? But that's one thing that really struck me about the patrons is that I'm not sure that I, 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 like I said, I prefer the Tasha's system over the Eberron system as far as how patrons are built, but the, the narrative sauce that's in these patrons is absolutely amazing. So. Which makes perfect sense because this is where it was introduced and then Tasha's got to take what was already created and tweak it to make a cleaner system. Yeah. But they focused on the system, whereas Eberron, it's got that sauce. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I, I think, too, I think that's a really key point, too. Is like, I mean, keep in mind the origins of Eberron, right? The origins of Eberron were to design a whole new world with new mechanics, with new stuff. But nobody had ever heard of the patron system before. I mean, that was before Eberron came up with it, it didn't exist. And so, yeah, the yes, the mechanics are a little bit heavy and a little bit crunchy and everything like that. That's the way that Eberron is. And, but you know, again, think of how influential even just that one individual section was and how it has, has transformed. Translated into later books. Now, Lou and Nika, I know one thing that you have talked about a lot is the patrons not being in D&D Beyond. Am I right on that? That is correct. You can't really create them. So, like, for instance, if you wanted to 
pick one of these type of patrons and then put it in D&D Beyond so it's an item that you can select and attach to your character sheet the, and, and the benefits translate or whatever, it's not there. You could always go into the notes section in D&D Beyond and copy and paste or just handwrite. But the features, compensations, all those types of things, they don't automate anything within D&D Beyond on your character sheet. So the next thing that I am going to talk about is, again, this is a, it's a little bit of an ethereal concept, but it's more about how do you make your game fun and how do you introduce interesting elements to your game that you can find within this book here. I think that the newspaper that kind of travels throughout the book here, and I'm talking about the voice of Breland and the way that they, so similar to Tasha's, where Tasha's had like those little asides that she was making to all the stuff that kind of happened in the book. And it gave this comedic, uh, this comedic element, a little bit of comic relief and everything in the book, right? The voice of Breland as a recurring source of information, even if it is slanted by the various dragon mark houses and stuff like that sort of information system that you can build into your game when you're when your players are in are, are in the tavern rather than just having them sit around and having to ask the bartender for rumors or whatever like that put broadsheets in the tavern that are available for them to go ahead and grab and have articles in there this is something again that we would use all the time in our old larping days where it's like mm-hmm. every game had a newsletter and it would be somewhere between eight and ten pages long and some of the articles would be red herrings about specific plot points some of them would be based on player actions. So let's say that your party burns down a warehouse in the middle of the night because they found out that's where the criminal enterprise was hiding out and they took them out in the middle of the night. Have an article in the newspaper providing either a factual representation of what happened or a slightly slanted representation of what happened because there's another kind of uh, faction within the city that's moving against the players or something like that. But use the concept of news and influence and information as an element in your game to go ahead and add certain levels of intrigue and fun. Because if all of a sudden, if your players are being misrepresented in the newspaper there, maybe that changes the opinion of people that live there towards the players for good or for ill, that kind of thing. Now you got smear campaigns and propaganda. Oh, totally. Exactly. Now they're trying to look and see who's doing it and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. That is the instant way to build engagement from your players. Let them get blamed for something they didn't do or give them or or take away credit for something they did do. One of those two things or both, and they will be on that plot thread like flies on poop. (laughs) That's mean. That's mean. They're going to handle that nonsense. I guarantee it. And uh, I would also say it's not just the voice of Breland as I was looking through the various sections. It's the voice of there's a different newspaper name for each house. For each area. There's different voices. There's different voices for each house. Everybody has their own perspective, which makes a lot of sense considering the patron, which is one of the patron type options is newspaper. So yeah. you could be, you could have one newspaper in your pocket, a la the Daily Planet, but have another one that's absolutely against you, a la the Daily Bugle, which was nicely played in a Superman, uh, Spider-Man crossover in the late seventies, where you actually had J. Jonah Jameson basically at an editorial war with Perry White about vigilante superheroes, 
and even and Jay Jonah didn't even like Superman that much or whatever. Yeah. So just little things like that that you can do. You can you want to build a rival party thinking of call of the Nether Deep, have one backed by one newspaper and have your party backed by a different newspaper. These are very cool ideas that you can lift, bring into any metro metropolitan type city in, in your game world. And I think there'll be a lot of fun. Not only that, but I love the idea about the rivals. Have have your rivals constantly getting credit for the things that you're doing, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's that that is narrative gold right there. If you want to pit your party against a group of rivals, again, like you said, nothing better than making sure that they're not getting credit for what they did because their rivals are, are, are getting that credit. So I love that idea. That's fantastic. Absolutely. All right, Mr. Miller. All right. The initiative is yours after you roll to so- five. I'm still stuck in the beast area because there were so many cool things here. That And one of the ones that I had no idea about, I had seen the Colossus once or twice, never played with one at my table, but in the research for this episode, I wanted to deal with it. But one of the things that I had never seen or heard of is living spells. And I mm, thought they yes. were amazingly cool. And that while there are cool. quite a few of them that are in this book, they don't cover everything that they could. So not only could you take these out of Eberron and put them elsewhere, different things for you to face. They're not quite elementals, but yet they still do elemental damage. So it's not the tired old elemental, but you could have the, the cloud kill living spell. Right. So you literally have this rolling mist of poisonous fog that's going all over the place. How you cool can't is that? say things like that with Benito on listening to the show. You can't. What did you just do? Right. Um, wait for it. Wait for it. Cause the next one is, <laughs> Some of the You're about spe- to throw some- yourself further under the bus, Greg. I am. Yeah. Because some of the things that are not in there is picking what spell. I don't know what spell you'd want to pick for, but things like they didn't have a living spell for necrotic damage. Oh. They didn't have a living spell for radiant damage. Oh. Or how about an acid splash? Just spike growth would F up people's days. Yeah. Trying to move around an area that I, I, crippled us for an entire encounter during one of our yeah. Could you imagine a living days? spike growth? Like, oh, just a moving like a tumbleweed of brambles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or if you're on the latest episode of uh, Strange New Worlds, uh, they go on a planet and they get encountered by an ion storm. But like a living, like they had, they have lightning bolt here. But could you imagine something like a like a some sort of like roving lightning cloud as opposed to just a, a single lightning bolt but mm. yeah yeah totally or, or like a, a like roving a, ball like a, of chain lightning oh god exactly your idea about uh living necrotic spells which is would they be living if they're necrotic spells but that's a whole separate issue but think uh, self-automated like undead, undead necrotic spells oh like a, a, a living cloud of death which that's it's got 150 foot range so that's a big cloud or a living circle of death rather or even just something raised undead like a cloud of raised undead imagine that like moving over the battlefield where it's like you're having this large battle battlefield with hundreds of dead and then this cloud just like sweeps over it I mean, that's like uh, that's like game of thrones when all of yep. a sudden the undead start rising against them uh, can you imagine like a, a a living dance macabre you know <laughs> that's yeah like, that's, that's just funny or oh there's any That'd number be of thriller, that by the be, way. Yeah, yeah. Dude. A cloud of ray of sickness. Like, ugh. oh yeah. <laughs> so, I, I've I've done one. I've done one or two of those in my day. So that's a. <laughs> so say we all. So say oh. we all. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah. So I really enjoyed that, and I think that had some great liftability. Definitely things I will be bringing into my games because you're always looking for things to that people haven't seen before. So where not a lot of the players I'm with have been in Eberron or familiar with it or what have you. 
These are things that fit quite nicely. Looking at what the abilities they have and the CRs that are coming up, I think it's going to it's going to fit in seamlessly and I can't wait to start using more of these. Yeah. So one question I had about the living spells though, is I wonder how they compute the, the CR rating on them. Like why is lightning bolt only a CR five where cloud kill is a CR four, a CR seven rather. Is that just based on the spell level? But I think it's lightning? spell level and damage. I don't say anything about how they do it in the book. And so I'm just like, I was, again, that's more just curiosity. Like how does that get calculated? A like, lot of it has to do with its attack die. <clears throat> like one is a plus seven, another's a plus uh, eight. The other's yeah. like, right. uh, you know. So yeah, you gave, okay. they gave it a one five seven challenge rating. So if we wanted to, we could put these the abilities and things on a spreadsheet and break it down to figure out like a yep. power structure. But yep. more than likely, it's based off of spell level. Yep. All right. Fair enough. All right. So the living spells again, another fantastic addition. Yeah, those are great. Done. So. And and especially given their context too, because the living spells exist in the area where the morning happened. So they're literally a byproduct of magical calamity. And you think about how often that's a theme in fantasy worlds. Yeah. So it would be so easy to slip these into anything. Oh, yeah. Love them. Yep. Nice addition. Doorway to the planes and the stars has been opened, and the Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse is now available on DM's Guild. Hosts of the Tabletop Journeys podcast bring you their latest book with over 60 pages of backgrounds, equipment, magic items, feats, adversaries, plot hooks, and all new poultices of healing with creation rules. Get your copy today and bring it to your tables and make your next roll legendary. the end of our second round here i think we got time for one more round in us uh, so break out your d20s gentlemen i'll bring it into round three natural 20 Bastard. I, I got an 18 again but that beats me <laughs> i get to go first this time all right wow um, <laughs> what you got lee Winiga? nine nine uh, all right roll so what do i get for getting a natural 20 other than i get to go first kudos <laughs> golf clap i appreciate that thank you thank you thank you all right so the last thing that i wanted to talk about as again is a a structural thing about how to build your homebrew campaign and less about the specific things in the book but it's more about how they handled designing cities and locations and things in the book it's a, a philosophy that if you're looking to go ahead and homebrew your campaign like there are tools out there if you look at like world anvil which is a tool that i absolutely love but there are anytime you design a city there's 150 questions that you need to answer about that city it gets into the population it gets into the size it gets into the map it gets into the demographics the people that live there all sorts of things way more detailed than 
than you may need for your particular campaign, especially if you're looking just to go ahead and pop up a city for a particular thing and make it quick. Here are the things that they focus on when they're designing an area. So obviously there's the name and there's some there's a list of like hallmarks of what makes that city specific. Is it overrun with undead? Is it are they are is they are they a manufacturing area? Do they do farming? Do they do, you know, aquaculture? Whatever. Some some, some hallmarks that kind of define what the area is. And then they break other information down into very simple to digest categories. What are things that are interesting about that area? Is there like a particular temple? Is there a particular building of renown? Are, are there famous kings from that area? Anything like that? What are th- what two or three bullet points about things that are interesting about them? Then the next thing, NPCs and characters that you are likely to encounter there or likely to have heard of that are from there, right? Again, three or four NPCs. And again, it's a name and two or three sentences about who that NPC is. It's not talking a full stat block. You can always write that up if you want to and everything like that. But it's just a couple of NPCs or a couple of characters that you either know are from there or could run into if your players go. And then lastly, if you're talking with a big region, so state or a country or something like that, some other cities that might be in the area. So if you're traveling through the the, the plains of Aralia. As you're traveling through the plains of Aralia, what, where are you going to encounter? Where are you going to encounter the village of Amshire? You're going to encounter the village of... of token you're going to encounter, whatever, right? There's any number of things that you're going to encounter as you're traveling through there. And then the last thing that they focus on is, again, because this book is specifically taking place after the morning and after the last war, is how has the war affected that particular area? So think about that question also if you're designing an area for your players to go to, is how is the area that they're going to affected by what your plot is? is, right? If your campaign has some sort of overarching plot, how is it affecting what's going on in that area? If your campaign doesn't have an overarching plot, how is your city just affected by the general political climate or whatever? If dragons all of a sudden start rising from the dead and taking over everything, how is that affecting your area? Are they trying to align with the dragons? Are they prone to dragon attacks? Do they whatever? Decide are to they getting out of dodge? They get out of dodge, right. exactly. Are people leaving, right? Any number of things. But I think that if you can focus on those areas, it provides a really agile, light way to flesh out areas in your city without having to go ahead and come up with all the 150 questions that something like World Anvil might ask you. Wants to know interesting things, couple of hallmarks, people that you'll find, and how is that area affected by what's going on in your game world? If you can stick to those four things, you're going to have plenty of information to go ahead and, and plenty of plot hooks to go ahead and give your characters so that these places are vibrant and have a life of their own and have, have some memory to them. That's a great point. The interconnection of your story and how it impacts the world around it and the per- the perception of the public and how your party is perceived and all of those pieces that bring it together. That, Yeah. 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 That's one thing that, that struck important. me most about this book, honestly, is that structurally, the way they thought about how to tie all this stuff together Everything was very smart. It was very smart. So while we're talking about travel and locations or locations, that brings my mind to travel. And uh, I think what Glenn was alluding to is uh, something I have spoken about oh so frequently on this show is the lightning rail. Mm, The Uh, lightning rail. I could have talked about any number of the travel things, but the one that was my interest was definitively the lightning rail. I love the concept. I'm not quite Sheldon Cooper. But I do love me some trains. Before uh, you go too far into this, though, Lee Winika, just for a matter of decorum, Glenn did have the next initiative. 
So, Glenn, do you really want to go next, or do you really want to go last? I, I, he can. He, I will. He, I, I will. He seeing that my back. seeing that my companion is so eager to strike at the adversaries <laughs> arrayed before us, I will hold my action until after his initiative. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. No, it's all right. It's all I'm right. over that's, anxious. That's... I apologize. I'm. I... <laughs> what I really like about trains is their ability to be a story or an adventure in and of themselves. So in Eberron, because these communities are very far away, but you have this unique way to get there. It's not necessarily a hike through the woods. It's not necessarily that exploration piece, but it is, or it can be an adventure piece, whether you're using something like the passenger story hook from traveler's guide to the multiverse or some other MacGuffin, the actual trip on the rail itself can be fun. Is it a shorter trip? Is it a longer trip? Is it a two-week trip? There's sleeper cars. There's intrigue. Who's on? If you know your target is on the train, there's 50 passengers on the train. How do you call them out? Do you catch them in the galley car? Do you catch them in, in, in the common areas walk, going for a stretch, walking in the halls? These are all of the things that you can utilize in your story. Eberron is the kind of game that can have straight up action or it really lends itself towards political intrigue. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about political intrigue is in fantasy games, they've almost always been kept to the court of a king or a noble or the, uh, the Grange Hall in a smaller village and the mayor. That's where your intrigue has been. Eberron opens the gates and lets political intrigue happen in merchant halls on rail, in the air. You can bring political intrigue into almost everything. Even those big fights on the battlefield are because of the political machinations of the various houses. So the lightning rail as something that's liftable is great. I, in my homebrew world, am marching technological progress forward, right? The one call out that I've seen for fantasy role-playing games is Farron's been around for thousands of years, and the technology today is no different than it was when they start talking about their older ages. There's been no technological advancement. Eberron is showing us the top end of technological advancement where magic and gods are real. There's a space in between. So if you're playing in a world like we've done before where you finish one campaign one, it's 30 years later, it's 60 years later, it's 100 years later, this is campaign two. Add some technology, and a great way to do that is to now lift any number of things from Eberron and have them in your standard fantasy world. You've now done a homebrew, you've lifted and added, but you've now just advanced the technology so you can show the passage of time simply by advancing the type of technology you have uh, at the ready. And I think that's a very powerful tool for storytellers to move time forward in their campaign world. There's no need to be DC Comics and do a new Crisis on Infinite Earths every 20 years or every two campaigns. You don't have to do that. What you can do is have these legacy characters. You can have the child of, the grandson of, or you could have somebody who's not even related but heard the legend of your campaign one characters. There's something to be said, said for that. Hey, even Matt Mercer recognized that. Tell Dory Reborn is, guess what? 20 years after campaign one. I think right. there's a reason for that because our stories need to breathe and become the legends that we want them to be. They're not legends in their campaign world unless somebody is living 
50 years later and hears about it. And when your players hear about, and you've got a brand new player at a table and a couple of veteran players who've played in your previous campaigns and the new player comes across some legend from the old campaign and, and they're like, wow, that's so very cool. And I got this thing, or I saw this thing about this guy who did this stuff. And the player who did it is sitting at that table. They feel pretty powerful in that moment. They Mm -hmm. feel pretty important. There's no way to stop them from being engaged in your game. Use things like the technology, use things like the lightning rail, build up your great, build up your great stories. The map that they show here is really cool, but you can do, you can see better maps. And I know they have other maps on DMs Guild, but this is a great place to get started. It's contained area. And the tighter your confines are, the better that drama is. At tier one, a fight on the lightning rail is amazing. I'm going to take that a step further, actually, and say that we can take a lesson from the living spells and apply it to the lightning rail, right? Maybe in your world, the trains don't run on lightning. Maybe they run on fire. Maybe they run on, maybe they're sun powered. They have gigantic sun sails that power them, something like that. Maybe Maybe they they have gravaturgy mage conductors. Yep. Yes. That stand yep. in the, fore of the foreground of the train and adjust yeah. gravitational forces to pull it along the track. Yeah. Maybe they run on some, maybe for some reason they run on necrotic energy. Like maybe the tracks are made from the bones of dead people and they're magnetic in some way or something like that. And they can pull the trains along. And I think that if you think about the various flavors that trains or travel methods that are powered by different elements like that. If you think about the different flavors that they would, maybe a fire train is very fast, but a necrotic train is slow and ponderous or something like that. I, I think that there's some really interesting ways that you can, you can mix and match the things that they've got included in here. So, Absolutely. Very true. Very true. All right, Mr. Myers, well, take I- us home. I kind of like the fact that in the end, I got to close it out. That was neat. Since I <laughs> Ha-ha. So whew, what do I talk about with the last round? Huh? I had a bunch of a few things left on my sheet from the debts and regrets I mentioned earlier, but that's a small thing. I really liked them. Y'all should check them out there in the beginning of the book. I was tempted to go with the house agent background because it can be lifted and you could replace house agent with any faction. Yeah. And adjust this background to fit any faction that you've got going on in your world. Mm. But in any, the end, I really got to... Any faction, you say. Any faction. Every faction. Mm. And, but I really got to stay with the global feel of the world. Because one of the things I was the absolute most struck by in the geopolitical structure of the world is that after the original super country broke down in the last war, and now you have all of these separate countries with the Dragonmark trade houses not having participated and instead prospering during the war, you now have basically merchant guild families that have a global reach and are more powerful than nations. Yeah. Which is wicked, interesting, and cool in terms of a dynamic. But what I wanted to say in terms of drawing from that, you don't have to pull the exact Dragonmark houses, but you can use those ideas and bring them into your game for your guilds. Take some of the stuff that they're doing here because they do it really well. And they do one of the things that I had so much fun with making Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, which is taking modern stuff from our world of today and figuring out how to create it in the fantasy setting. And, and Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, we've got a few things in there based on travel, almost like a Kendall and FaceTime and things like that, which was really fun. But looking at this, you got things like the lightning rail and the airships, and they're all guild or dragon mark 
dynasty family controlled. So I really like looking at the different systems and how they handled some of those approaches. As an example, one of the houses runs a mail system. Mm. It's not something you would normally think of in a D&D world. It is something I'm actually developing, and it, we'll, we'll have our own version of it coming out with one of our subclasses here Ooh. shortly. Ooh, um, this like is something that. I was already working on as a mail system run by a bardic college, the, the bards of a nation that run the mail system. They do it totally different with a guild house or one of the dragon mark houses charges money to use teleportation circles for instant travel between cities which was another global idea that i was working on with the mages guild that part of the way it funds itself or a mages college or any kind of magic institution part of the way it funds itself is it exists since it's global in multiple major cities at each campus or office or enclave has a teleportation. Oh, you need to get across the continent? I got you. How much money you got? But that could 100% be a way to help your party. And that's one of the things I think Eberron really does really well. Help your party get around your world to experience all of the exotic locations. Because sometimes in the exploration piece, we get bogged down in travel. Mm -hmm. Travel's fun. I don't want to take that out. But when you're on your eighth day of random encounters traveling across the wilderness, when you could have taken a lightning train and been to the next city by tomorrow, yeah. unless you've got major plot going on in those miles in between, lifting from Eberron the different ways that they bring the modern world and the expedience and convenience of the modern world to D&D, I think is really cool. Because they're right. If you've got magic and you can do it, why wouldn't you make your life easier? Yep. Totally. Yeah, travel is one of those things that's uh, – travel is honestly one of the reasons why I started playing more collaboratively in my tables is because a, a way to introduce something over long periods of travel without it having to be random monster encounters or whatever like that was really appealing to me. So that's where that was born from. So you said a few things that really spoke to me, Glenn, and one of those things uh, having to do with the Bardic Colleges and – the mail system, I didn't pick that up out of the book. I didn't catch that, but it reminded me of something I'm doing in my homebrew game where I have the Calligraphers Guild, which is basically a bunch of bards who are responsible for couriering notices amongst the major cities of the Kingdom of Verlanden. And they, were, they are one of the most powerful guilds in the kingdom because all information passes through them. I even have a signature magic item that's for them and so on and so forth. And I always thought that it was a really cool concept that who would be in charge of this? Well, couriers, knowledge, information, bards. So to me, that's a natural fit. And that's how I did it in my game. I didn't even realize that was an Eberron. I'm going to start leaning into that because one of my players plays that role. He's actually the head of that guild. Well, Eberron's isn't a bardic mail system. Theirs is a guild-based mail system for money. Correct. Just making sure uh, you made the distinction for the, the, the bard wasn't them. It was... Something. Correct. Yeah. Okay. But, but I think there are probably going to be techniques, tools, perhaps even ideas that I can borrow from this and to beef up what I've already got started is what I was saying. I didn't realize the ideas were there, but I like the concept of that being there. So I have some additional ideas that really well done. And yeah, I guess I uh, if I, because I rambled a lot, I guess I would say my final lifts to sum it up would be non-governmental or country global organizations and what they the impact they can have on the world. Cool. 
All right. So I hope that everybody out there listening has has at least picked up that for one, if you do not have a copy of Eberron Rising from the Last War, it should have a place on your bookshelf for sure. And if you are homebrewing your own world, A, look at the Eberron book and look for things that you want that you think would sing in your world uh, to go ahead and bring them in. But I think the l- bigger lesson that I want to go ahead and impart here is if you're building a campaign world and if you're looking for material, inspiration can come from anywhere. Whatever you've got on your bookshelf, whatever you've got in your library, whatever you've got watching, whatever you're watching on TV right now or streaming on the internet, always be on the lookout for pieces of that that you can take and you can use in your campaigns. Because as someone that's been doing this for a really long time, inspiration is everywhere, right? By all means, uh, I, I can't recommend that strongly enough, that look for inspiration everywhere. You will find it wherever you look. What about last thoughts from you guys tonight? Let's see. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Lewinika, you go first. I, I, I touched on it already, so I'll close with this thought. I believe in doing campaigns where time marches on. I love the fact that Eberron is the next evolution of technology within a fantasy world, within a fantasy realm. There are many games, Critical Role, there, Taldore, Wildmount, that have introduced gunfire, guns, cannon, thing like things like that. I'm introducing that slowly into my own homebrew world. This is, again, that next evolution. And yeah. I can envision myself four campaigns from now effectively using almost everything from this book because that's exactly what it's going to be. It just won't be in this setting. But in order to do that, I'm going to be playing some Aberon. I'm going to be, I've built a nice new character that just last night, and I've been teasing it with Mike from 19 Hits the Dragon because I really <laughs> want to play this character, Excellent. and I really want Mike to be my first Eberron DM. Call your boys TTK, if, if Mike. Mike starts an Eberron game, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we can get him to do a, so do a one shot on the channel here. We've already, we, we have, we, we can go ahead and make this announcement. Like, this is not like top secret information that we have to go ahead and keep for everybody. But after coming on a couple of weeks ago uh, to go ahead and talk through the Blood Hunter class with us, Mike let slip that he runs an Eberron campaign at his home table. And so we mm-hmm. are for our next class warfare, which of course during Eberron month is going to be the Artificer class. We are going to roll up Artificers and we are going to throw them up against some Eberron based baddies that Mike is putting together for us. Right. We're really looking forward to Mike from 19 Hits the Dragon coming and, and uh, doing that for us this month. So, Which it's was gonna, the teaser, be but to be clear, if Mike starts an Eberron campaign, aside from that, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, like I want a campaign. I want it so bad. I did not even roll this tune at level three. I kept it at level one because I want to play this character in this game. <laughs> and I want every level in yeah. Eberron. I want to see things. And I, I ha- even wrote an intro scene. It's actually on the Di- Mike's Discord channel. So if any listeners of both Excellent. shows are on that on Mike's Discord, give it a look. My idea is right there. Excellent. All right. Any last words, uh, Mr. Myers? My final thought for Eberron is it took me into all kinds of fun places with other things that I've been working on. Because some of the work I've been doing in my own setting has been a lot of blending magic and technology. Mm -hmm. So then reading the advancement of magical technology, now naturally I'm like, okay, so what happens if we take the world of Eberron and we start to blend it with some steampunk gaslight? era yeah. technology and the next thing you know we're mixing everyone basically with the setting from the nevers or yep. from shadow and bone you're bringing those two worlds together so now you got the gaslight maybe some revolvers and you got the steampunk tech devices plus okay. some of them that are augmented by magic i think we could come up with all kinds of crazy creative things yeah. it started yeah 
Shadow and Bone is a lot of Eberron. Yeah, Shadow and Bone is a lot of Eberron. And I think where the Nevers is firmly in the steampunk Victorian stuff, Mm. I think Shadow and Bone is probably the closest to Eberron. So I am looking forward to both of those shows coming back. No, uh, the Nevers is not going to be for a while, but Shadow and Bone should be back relatively soon. Season two? I think so. Yeah, hopefully. Looking forward to that. So. You mentioned the debts and regrets section of the beat, which I thought was absolutely fantastic also. I mentioned that earlier than the other thing too. I'm done now. That was it. Shifters. Okay. It was the All only right. thing left on my list without a check mark. I was going to add the plethora of undead in the beast series. Oh, yeah. Some uh, of the demons I had to make some. Oh, the yeah. beast series is nice, but you had, that, you had that covered. I had to, for time, I didn't go into a third beast series thing, but since you were asking for extra add-ons, I've said any and all of the undead in that beast series are worthwhile. The next zombie apocalypse I run in a fantasy realm is probably going to be those creatures. Yeah. Um, yep. Because they're, yeah. they're frightening. Yeah, I am. I am not looking forward to what what Mike decides to go ahead and throw at us. So hopefully, I don't know. We'll see. I am. I am both. I am both looking forward to it and not looking forward to it because I'm looking forward to it from a a won't this be fun point of view and not looking forward to this from a player uh, we're gonna have to fight this stuff point of view. So yeah. we might but, be facing another <laughs> another loss. <laughs> it's gonna it, it, this one's gonna go to the wire I'm, i have no yeah, doubt yeah, i'm pretty sure exactly especially where we're playing artificers because not known for having lots of hit points anyway all that to go ahead and say uh, gentlemen thank you as always for uh, for joining me this evening pleasure as always and uh, everybody out there listening thank you very much for listening we want to hear from you what do you think what are your favorite parts of the eberron book what are uh, parts of the eberron books that uh you have brought out into your campaign or have you uh, have you just gone whole hog and decided that uh, that you're just running an eberron campaign and that's that so please by all means uh leave comments down below catch us on twitter catch us wherever uh, you're listening to us and uh, we appreciate you liking subscribing the episode that you're listening to right now obviously all that stuff helps us uh, get into the algorithm and go ahead and get our show out to more people in common remember we asked you for two options but neither option is wrong exactly (laughs) comment talk to us absolutely all right thank you very much everybody appreciate it as always and uh, we'll talk to you again next week thanks so much everybody have a good week have a great night. night peace thank you for joining us this has been tabletop journeys we would love to hear your feedback on our show today Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we did you shade and sweet water.